So we're going to talk about Anglicanism and the sacramental life. Um, said in a different way, uh, the sacramental life in a disembodied culture or a disembodied city. We live in a context, and really at this point, it doesn't matter anymore whether or not we're in the River North neighborhood of Chicago or if we're in rural America, if we're in the rural parts of the Midwest where many of us have come from originally, um, or even if we're in Mumbai, if we're in Africa. At this point, the, uh, the culture of the city is being exported for good and for bad um, and is easily accessible via our uh, smartphones and, and, uh, and the Internet. And uh, that has great opportunity and, and has a cost as well. Um, the, the context that we live in, the context that we are in some ways coming of age in, is one that is uh, deeply secular and deeply disembodied. What do I mean by that? Uh, what you'll see if you pay attention in, in, uh, in our case in Chicago is you will see multiple instances of the, um, of the autonomous and the anonymous self. The autonomous and the anonymous self. The modern economy is built around not around covenants, where you have sacred, what David Brooks of the New York Times called sacred covenants, covenants to spouse, to family, to a church, to a local club, um, uh, to, to these, um, these institutions that are, serve as the fabric of society. Rather than having covenanting with them, you see um, a lot of our economic structures built around convenience for the auto autonomous self that greatly reward the young, the beautiful, the wealthy, and the powerful. Um, so um, what is at the core of this? And there's so much that's good. There's so, so there's a lot that we celebrate because people's individual um, wealth has gone up. The standard of living has gone up for many people who've been in poverty. That's something that should be celebrated. Let's also pay attention to the underpinnings of this, though. Uh, and that is there's a radical materialism that is that is in the fabric of, of the modern West. Um, so what do I mean by that? This is the view that we came from nothing. So, so the world is, at its heart, as Nietzsche said, is an accident. We, also, we are also going to nothing. The sun will eventually burn up. We will freeze. And as Nietzsche said, nothing will have ever changed. So what he called this, this present age in between what we came from when we were going to the most mendacious of all of history, meaning deceptive of all of history, because great plans were made and we thought really wonderfully of ourselves as cognitive creatures. But in the end, nothing changed because we ultimately died because the sun burned up. Uh, at the core, at, you know, so, so really the um, radical materialism says everything is material, nothing is non-material. So love itself is a chemical reaction. Joy itself is a chemical reaction. Um, there's a chemical formula for all these things that we experience as mystery. Really, it's all material. Um, and um, this, this view um, is, is, is growing in academic circles. It is the dominant academic view, especially among philosophers and among scientists. And it's good to do philosophy. It's good to do science. Science is good. Two thumbs up for science, OK? But, <laughs> Um, the the faith-driven view that this is all there is, that this is, material is all there is and there's nothing that is not material, 
uh, is a faith-based view that has consequences. So here are some of the evidences, just tangible evidences. Um, the, the, the one that, that is, it's, it's hidden, but it's very real if you want to tap into it, and that is anonymous sex, okay? And not through Craigslist and, um, and the incredible rise in human trafficking connected to globalization, um, and also the breakdown of the family, there's incredible loneliness, and that loneliness is often, um, people in an attempt to heal that loneliness seek out anonymous sexual liaisons. And it is, a, it is a anonymous, it disconnected, and ultimately leads to more loneliness. Nevertheless, it is, it's, very, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the cultural artifacts of our day, cultural practices of our day, anonymous sex. Um, another one is Bowling Alone. So this is the title of Robert, the sociologist Robert Putnam's book, um, where, where he documents basically the breakdown in communities so people go, they bowl alone, okay, or they go to movies alone. They do things, that, they feast alone. They stay in hotel rooms alone. Obviously, it's not sinful in itself to do something alone, but what this is, it's, a, it's just a clue that the autonomous and individualized self um, convenience has been, has been elevated as, as the highest good. Um, and, um, and at the heart of that is, is, is a radical materialism. Everything is, um, everything is for convenience, and there's nothing. You might as well live for pleasure. If your beginning is meaningless and your end is meaningless, you might as well enjoy this life. Um, here's another evidence: fetuses. Um, we may have seen the news article: fetuses aborted in Canada. They, they've done a study and they found that these fetuses are being shipped to um, provide power to Oregon homes. Right now, this is happening right now. They haven't even stopped the practice. They've, as far as I know, they've simply found it out and uncovered it. Think about that. So parents who decide, I'm not ready to bring a child into the world. I'm not ready to change my life. This child basically would be more of a minus than a plus. And because there's no sacred value to this life, that's not a moral end in itself, material is all there is, humans included. There's nothing sacred about us. So if I'm not going to get anything from this child, um, one, one part of society says, I'll throw it away. Another part of society says, well, one man's trash is another man's treasure. We can at least use these fetuses for electric power, and they can serve the strong. Um, in a materialist, radical materialistic world, there's no moral reason why you shouldn't do that. Um, the brave materialists will say, yeah, there really is no basis for morals. Um, you can't get morals from um, from a um, a uh, uh, a worldview completely stripped of the sacred. If there is no sacred, if all is material, then Nietzsche was right. It's the strong. It's a religion, basically, of the, who's the strongest. Everybody else serves the strongest. You might as well be as strong as you can. So, um, uh, uh, this is the world that we're coming of age in. Now, people all around us have nuanced views. Very few people are, are absolutely dedicated, committed, not uh, you know, strict materialists. But, but nevertheless, materialism is growing in influence, and it is also shaping um, the world around us. Um, and um, so uh, Christians 
um, can, in the face of this, draw upon what has always been a Christian teaching, which is an affirmation of um, the sacramental worldview. Um, the sacramental worldview. Uh, and, and I'm drawing a lot on, I, I want to give credit to one of my mentors, Bishop Steve Breedlove, who is um, a bishop in Pear, USA. I went through an Anglican formation, Anglican minister formation program over the course of two years. We'd meet once a month in his home. He would host us, which is an Anglican thing to do. And, um, and then he'd bring in um, uh, teachers, and he would also teach us himself about everything related to Anglicanism and mission and being a pastor. So it was called Anglican Missional Pastor. Anyway, uh, some of this material is drawn from, from that program, from his talk, and also from um, uh, another, another one of my mentors, um, uh, um, Ben Sharp, uh, who's a priest in North Carolina, and also my colleague Blake Johnson. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, so the sacramental worldview affirms the presence of a greater reality than meets the eye. So not all you see is all there is. There's basically an affirmation that there is more than meets the eye. Um, and this has always been the fundamental worldview of God's believing people. Um, there is a presence of a deeper substrata that meets the material eye at virtually every turn. I'll say that again. There's, there's the presence of a deeper substrata than meets the eye, material eye at virtually every turn. This deeper substrata is rooted in the life presence and activity of God. It's rooted in the life, presence, and activity of God. And it intersects and interlocks with material creation. So there's an intersection. There's not an equal sign. Does that make sense? So it's not God is the tree. That's animism. That's, that's uh, traditionally Eastern religions. Um, but it's not God is separate from the tree. Um, uh, that's, uh, uh, that is dualism. It's God is intersecting with the tree as it were. The tree is part of God's creation. The tree is under God's rule. Um, the tree is part of creation which worships God and obeys God. Um, and so there's a distinct and regular overlap between heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are meant are two halves of the same reality. And rebellion against God caused a breach. But through the broken body of Christ and the risen body of Christ, there is a healing between heaven and earth. There's a healing between the material world and God's supernatural reality. So those things overlap, and uh, the um, God's kingdom is coming. So it's in the process of renewing the material world. Um, so it's not one reality, but it's also not separate and independent realities. That makes sense, and this is important. Um, so therefore, all of life is purposeful. All of life, all of human life is pers um, purposeful, no matter how weak um, uh, and, and undeveloped the baby, and no matter how infirm you are um, on the other end of the spectrum. So it's not just the beautiful, healthy, um, smart, well-resourced people that have the meaning and have the value. Um, it, is, it, is, it is all human life. It's also God's creation is, is, is inherently valuable. So really, I mean, in as much as human life has been devalued, in many ways, if you, if you look at what people actually do, not what people say, the environment is, is, not, is, is also not treated well. Um, people misuse the, the environmental resources that we have. Um, 
that is also a, a highly materialist thing to do. Let's slash and burn it. It doesn't mean anything anyway. So if there's more pleasure or money or power to be gotten from this, especially if we can use a scientific method to regularize, you know, what we're doing, so um, let's let's go for it. And so um, that's one, you know. So this 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 worldview really does um, bump up against both the right and the left politically, um, and it, and is ultimately deeper than both. So, therefore, perceptions and experiences of life in a sacramental worldview are changed with the awareness of the sacred and the presence and the purposes of God, who is both creator and redeemer. He made creation. He loves creation. And he actually entered creation to redeem it. Um, Not to destroy it, but to resurrect it. Um, This is the way that the Bible speaks about reality. If you open the Bible... Whether Old or New Testament, obviously within its genre, obviously within its context, obviously treating each author with great respect and exegetical carefulness, but this is the way the Bible speaks about reality. If it actually takes more exegetical gymnastics to read um, about both the Eucharist and baptism, to read about nature, to take the meaning out of it, to take, take the sacred out of it. There, we do have, we are creatures of the Enlightenment, and it is easy for us to doubt that God can use matter to bring about salvation. It really is so tempting to be like, what are you doing? You, you being Harry Potter magical? Calling this the, uh, the, the, you know, this waters of baptism that God is going to save someone through? How can the mysteries of salvation be so tangible and so prosaic? Um, it's very, very tempting. Um, however, I don't lay all of the blame of that on low evangelicalism. I actually think that um, you know my evangelical rooting, our evangelical rooting, points us in the direction of a sacramental worldview, even if it doesn't call it that. Uh, I actually think there's bigger fish to fry. So I would rather aff- uh, say thank you and affirm all of the ways that evangelical churches, evangelical institutions like Moody, point us in the direction of affirming God's work in creation um, and, and actually go after the bigger fish, which is those who would, who would say none of life matters um, uh, and uh, not, not they're saying none of life matters, but they're saying ultimately there's nothing other than what you can see. Um, and that's really where the, I think that's where our sacramental energy should go is in being out in the world, doing works of justice, um, acting in the power of the resurrection, um, and seeing God's kingdom come. So um, I don't want to give you, I'm not trying to give you a baseball bat to beat up people with. What I want to do is call you into participation in the sacramental, sacramental life in a sort of a positive way. Um, anyway, this is the way the Bible speaks about reality in, in plain language. So Romans one uh, twenty, For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived... God's power has been clearly perceived how? Um, uh, Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. This is just interesting. It's not, it's, yes, it's from the Bible, and and yes, people have had supernatural experiences, but God's power is, you can see it in creation if if your eyes are open. This is what the Bible says. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24 speaks about the scandal of this, because it is a scandal. Uh, make no mistake, it was a scandal in the ancient world, and it's a scandal for our world as well, for both 
ancient and modern plausibility structures. Paul says uh, this, um, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. We preach Christ crucified, and that is a stumbling block, no matter where you're coming from. So the Jews wanted a supernatural sign um, that would surpass the natural order. They wanted something to blow them away. Give us a sign, bolts from heaven, that, um, uh, that, would, that would basically just overwhelm the supernatural. Um, the Greeks wanted wisdom. Wisdom was kind of the highest supernatural. You know, they, they wanted something that would fit into, their, fit into their wisdom structure. But instead, God in his wisdom used a real person with a body um, who lived in a real place, who lived in a real time, lived in time and space. He was a real person. Jesus met a real death at the hands of a real government and was raised to life again in real material yet glorified um, human body. And Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. He's the only way of salvation and redemption for us and the, co- the cosmos. Um, so the incarnation is at the heart of a sacramental worldview. It's the incarnation of Jesus. Um, uh, Gnosticism has a negative view towards matter. Matter is bad. Matter is uh, to be distrusted. Um, this is the other side of the materialist coin. Materialists will say matter is all you have. Therefore, do with, do with it what you want. Um, Gnosticism is saying, well, that matter is bad. You need to escape it. It's a prison. Um, and you need to find a secret path to salvation. Um, someone said this, Gnosticism may be defined as a system which taught the cosmic redemption of the spirit through knowledge. It's the cosmic redemption of the spirit through knowledge. And so what's important is the spirit. The body and, the ma- body and matter are, are kind of obstacles to the salvation of the spirit. Um, you know, dispensationalism, especially in its, not in its mature form, but in its, especially in its past form, really did kind of jump into this dualism. You know, save souls, um, because souls are the only thing that matter. Souls are really the only thing of this world that won't burn. It's all going to burn, so um, institutions, forget about them. Um, doing good work in the world, integrating your faith and vocation, not important. Save souls, that's the only thing that matters. And really, missionaries and to a lesser degree pastors are the only vocations that really matter. All other vocations are money-making schemes to fund um, missionaries and pastors because they're saving souls, and saving souls, the souls are the only thing they're going to they're gonna last. Um, not, not, not a Gnostic theology per se, but definitely dangerous Gnostic influences. Um, not heretical, but something to be watched. Um, so um, the sacraments are outcroppings of, um, of God's substrata, of God's kingdom. N.T. Wright says this, the sacraments are not some strange rocks, some meteors that landed in the field of human existence as signs of another world out there. They are in fact the outcroppings that show the presence of the substrata upon which our very existence hangs. Um, Luther says this, the sacraments are the trysting places between God and man. They are events where God actually connects and kisses us with grace. He unleashes his love in the sacraments. So 
The sacraments help us understand what is sacred. The sacraments help us understand how heaven and earth are healed, where heaven and earth are healed. I want to talk a little bit about, you guys have all, you all get historical theology, and so I don't want to overlap with that. What is a sign or a sacrament? Well, a sacrament is an outward invisible sign of an inward spiritual reality, okay? You guys know this. You will know it soon. Let's talk about what happens. What is the meaning of what happens um, in the Eucharist and in baptism? Obviously, all of this um, is... Um, I say this with, with the a priori understanding that the sacraments are carried out in the context where the word is preached. Uh, sacrament is never uh, disconnected from word. We need the word. We need word and sacrament. We need Jesus Christ crucified, proclaimed from the pulpit, and we need uh, and we need uh, to to carry out the sacraments as Jesus commanded. So, what happens at the sacrament? Uh, number one, the collapsing of time. In the sacraments, time is collapsed. The barriers of time begin to collapse. Past, present, and future come together. And uh, there's an interesting exercise. We won't do it now, but if you read Romans 6, 1 through 11, and look at all of the different forms of time, you will see past, present, and future mixed together. Um, so um, verse 3 talks about we were baptized into his death, which is a past reality. Um, verse 4 uh, says uh, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's a past event that leads to a present reality. Um, uh, we were buried in, sort of, in order that we might walk. Um, verse 5 talks about the future. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. But then verse 6 talks about past, present, and future. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Um, so th this, in this past, present, and future mixing goes all the way through verse 11, uh, verse 11 of Romans 6, talking about baptism. Um, uh, time collapses. Um, so we are setting forth the past... We are bringing it into the present, and we are anticipating the future. So it's a past event now. Um, it's a future reality now. So when we um, partake in, 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 uh, in the Eucharist, in the, in the Holy Meal, we are, we are looking back to, we are, we are remembering Christ's death. We are celebrating it. We are also looking forward to the coming joyful feast when all the saints feast in the name of Jesus at that final wedding banquet. So we're looking for, it's a foretaste of what's coming. It's a remembrance of what, of, of what, what happened. But, we're, but it's an embodied reality as well. The saints are gathering around a feast, and they're feasting in the name of Jesus. Um, so this is not the obliteration of time. That's important. This is not saying time is bad. It's not the obliteration of time. It is, it is opening the window... Uh, Pulling the curtain back, we're peeking into the kingdom, and it is the collapsing of time. So, number two, it's also the bridging of space. So it's the collapsing of time, number one. Sacraments are also the bridging of space. God's heaven is present in our earth. Um, one, of the, the, one of the ways that the Orthodox Church pictures this 
and Alexander Schmemann describes this in his book For the Life of the World, is that um, the church is, um, in a true sense, lifted up into heaven. Uh, when, I, when, when on Sundays, when, when, when I or, or another minister says, lift up your hearts, and we say we lift them up to the Lord, we understand we're not, bringing, we're not calling God down, but the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, is bringing us up into His presence. He's sanctifying us. He's bringing us a meal. He's hearing our prayers. He's gathering us together. He's working reconciliation and redemption. Um, so God's heaven is present to us in, uh, on the earth. Um, God's plan after the fall was not to abandon creation, but to renew it. This is foreshadowed by Noah and the flood. God is seeking to renew creation, not to abandon it. Um, uh, the, the patriarchs would be absolutely befuddled by our, not befuddled, baffled by our dualism. They would, they would not accept our dualism. Um, yet, they would never confuse God with the material world. They were not animists. They would not confuse that God is the material world. There's a deep spiritual and physical intersection um, that the patriarchs had. Um, so the sacraments are not, um, we are not abstract ideas. The sacraments are not theories of salvation and atonement. They're not theories of communion and giving of life but they are concrete actions of spiritual cleansing, rebirth, death, and resurrection, the feeding and receiving of life. Um, uh, uh, the Eucharist is a meal that speaks about a, a, the violent death, an actual physical, not spiritual death, um, that brings about um, our entry into the kingdom of the new covenant. So, so it's bridging Christ's death and our entry into the new covenant. Um, we may do our best to try to understand the atonement. It's a deep mystery. Obviously, we can um, speak clearly about it, yet we may not even probe the absolute mystery of the atonement. Uh, nevertheless, the sacraments give us, mediate to us, its deep meaning in actions that even a child can grasp and enter into. Even a child can know the love of God as they partake in the bread and the wine. Um, and yet, it, 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 even the deep, even the smartest scholars um, struggle to understand the depths of the mystery. But you can participate in the mystery and the love of Christ's death and resurrection when you participate in the in the um, the sacraments. So we have the collapsing of time. We have the ennobling of matter. Um, we have um, uh, sorry. We have the bridging of space. Um, the collapsing of time, finally we have the ennobling of matter. Um, it is truly amazing to think that God has attached the deepest spiritual realities to things as common as water and bread and wine, and yet that's what Jesus said he would do. Drink my blood. This is my blood. This is my body. Do it in remembrance of me. Um, he did not say, you know, in a spiritual sense, this is my blood, this is my body. Um, uh, so in the redemption of the world, he has not jettisoned matter, but he has indeed ennobled matter. He has indeed ennobled matter, not jettisoned it. Um, uh, and this helps us understand um, the, uh, that other parts of creation are also have the ennobling stamp of, of the Lord. So things like art and money and beauty and food and home matter to God. In short, matter matters. Um, the sacraments are unique, so it's not as if the whole world 
is sacramental. That's not what the scriptures teach. But the whole world is filled with the glory of God. And in that sense, um, the, the, the whole earth matters to God. And so it should matter to us as well. Um, and we have, we have the, the rooting, we have the foundation to affirm vocations beyond ministry vocations as part of God's work in the world. So those who are working for, um, you know, uh, I know a guy in D.C. who, is, um, uh, who runs a cab company. And uh, none of the cabs in Arlington, Virginia, were hybrid vehicles. They were all 100%, um, you know, gasoline run. And um, he decided that even though he would take a financial hit, he would, uh, he would do the best he could to, um, uh, to start a fleet of hybrid vehicles. Just one simple way to affirm God's creation is good, and this is one way to... Um, to, to show love to God's creation, as it were, uh, to treat it as something that matters. And uh, soon after, all the, uh, the cab companies in Arlington began to change their, their vehicles over to, to hybrid. That's one small way to, um, with your vocation, say, matter matters to God. And um, uh, our past is meaningful, our future is meaningful, therefore our present is meaningful. Um, and so elements in the material world are charged with lasting significance because it's held in the hands of God and it matters to God. Um, we need to understand that, that uh, in the sacraments there is both agent and participant. There's agent and participant. The core understanding of the sacrament is that God is the prime mover, he's the prime actor, and that we are acted upon. We are the receivers and the partakers and the participants. So he is the one who brings grace. It is his testimony. It is his story. It is his action. It is his initiative. Um, and he brings the grace of new life and of new creation, the grace of fellowship and union with Christ. He brings it. Um, uh, we do not baptize ourselves. okay? Um, this is not primarily a statement of who we are. Nevertheless, one of, one of the core teachings of the Reformation that, uh, that we uphold in a sacramental worldview is that the sacraments do not, um, they are not ex opero, operato, or however you say it. It's not an automatic thing where without faith, um, it's, it's still in operation. Um, the scriptures also teach that we participate in faith in the sacraments. So when we respond to God's grace, we respond in faith, we respond as people who receive, not as people who deserve. We do not. We, we do not. We do not come as people who are um, uh, uh, working our way to salvation. We are receiving in faith. It is the receiving in faith, um, truly, that um, is uh, uh, what um, allow for us to, in, in many ways, metabolize the grace that God is giving us. Um, so, without faith, the sacraments are not effective. Um, we see many in many cases. Um, whether you believe only in adult baptism or whether you affirm the baptism of, of, of infants and children, that apostasy happens. Apostasy, ha and it's mysterious, but the New Testament speaks very clearly. Baptism is baptism. The body of Christ is the local body of Christ, and apostasy happens. Apostasy happens all the time, and whether you're baptized as an adult or you're baptized as a child. So it really is the participation, and it is a mystery indeed, the participation of, um, uh, uh, of faith 
We are justified by faith through grace. It's not a work of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Um, and none of us can boast about it. So, um, so faith is a, is a primary element in, um, in, in, in a sacramental worldview. And if you truly have a sacramental worldview, you have a sacramental heart because you have been changed by the living God. You have been ennobled. God has saved you. Um, and you can participate joyfully in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, so as we come of age um, in a highly secularized context, in a highly secularized city, we have something um, to offer our neighbors, um, which is a vision of the world um, that is more than our chemical reactions. It is indeed the presence of the living God in uh, the world that we inhabit. Amen.